eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning and welcome in to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I am National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Fagner alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins. It's a beautiful day in Birmingham. It's a great day to be alive in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Drew, we got some golf on. I heard the wife in the background. She's fired up. Roy McIlroy on the tee. The British Open. That's what we're going to choose to call it. we got Kevin Kisner out there rocking a 1776 hat. Getting the juices flowing this morning. You got the hat on backwards? Talk to me, Drew. Well, you know, I love when sports are on early in the morning. And the Open came at the perfect time because the Tour de France essentially ended yesterday, Wednesday. Uh, well, it didn't end, but it, it's pretty much over. And I dug heavily into the Tour this month because of that Netflix show. So, yeah, the Open, or you can call it the British Open, whatever. Uh, should make for some good good TV to follow over the next few days, right? I gotta, you have to love golf this time of year. I think I'm adjusting a little bit to the schedule. I think they teed off at like three or four in the morning. I think, right? Well, they did the was, same thing the the week before with the Scottish. Uh, yeah, I went to, you know, so I, I work out in the morning, come back, start working, turn on the TV, and I was like, all right, isn't like the Women's World Cup on? And because it was the first day of matches and those were played at like one in the morning. I, I was like, wait, what? Cause they're in New Zealand. So the, the time schedule has got me all, all over the place. Got a lot going on. Guess what? We also have a uh, new part of the show that we're kind of fired up about producer Lance Glenn. You get to take a look in, inside the mind of Lance Glenn. Summer slump drew four schools, not recruiting up to par time to panic. Colorado, TCU, Michigan State, and Washington. Those would be the four programs that we talk about. And I, I want to give it a little bit of context here. I mean, it I, I I keep saying, especially for the programs that we've talked about in the in the last couple of weeks, whether it's been Alabama, whether it's been Texas, among them, it is the middle of July. The other point to this, Andrew, is what we've seen is an uptick and programs filling out their classes really before the fall. I mean, more than three-fourths of a lot of these programs are done. And what I mean by done, either floating around that 25 number or over 25 initial scholarships that they plan on signing. So 
a lot to take into consideration there. I think your explanation for that, I think last time we talked was now a lot of these teams, they get to go into the fall, fall camp. Recruiting is really kind of behind them, the high school ranks. And then it really allows them to kind of set their board throughout the season in the fall for the for the first and second transfer portal window. Yeah, I mean, times times are changing. And before we hit record, I, I was telling you my not working theory, but it feels like the senior season has become not like deva- – I mean, yes, devalued, right? It, it used to be you would make these evaluations after – you're bringing in a ton of guys in, in, in January and it with December. I mean, remember when there was just the traditional national signing day. So you had, you know, two years of tape on most of these individuals. Cause you got to think most of these high schoolers are, are, are starting as juniors and then obviously as seniors, but man, if you're, if you're not, if you're a kid that is not getting a ton of reps as a junior, like it's a risky you got to trust what you know about them um, and then, and then hope they pan out as a senior. It just, it just feels different than what it, what it used to be in the past. I I think, again, I was watching SEC media days. I don't know what, what coach brought it up, but he's like, you you can't, you can't wait till December to bring in official visitors anymore. Like you have to do it in the summer. And in the past two, three years, like that is complete. I remember when schools were afraid to do it. And now you have to do it. The only way you could do that, which is, is I think becoming a, um, more and more difficult is if you have that rare recruit that you can bring up for unofficial visits to take the place of official visits, but you're still limited to a capacity, right? And then part of the official visit experience is the camaraderie with the teammates that you're going to have. So, yes, it, it, it is um, helpful to have the last visit, especially closer to signing day. I think you'd much rather hedge your bet and say, you know what, after you kind of have the hooks in, can we get you back to campus one more time? been interesting yeah, I, to see how, how these programs kind of shift their strategy as the game is starting to change a little bit with the recruiting calendar. It is. All right, Drew, let's talk primetime. Deion Sanders, Colorado, our prayers are with him. Uh, he will not be at Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, but Colorado, they have been in the news cycle uh, since primetime has been hired, right? And they finished with a bang last year in the 2023 cycle, finished 29th before that, 47th in 2022, 64th in 2021. And... Some ebbs and flows uh, before that as well, but 29th, one of their strongest finishes. I think they've they've had in a, a long time. I, in, 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 the, in the 24-7 sports era, I think. There you go. Go back to 20, 2012. So Colorado was just looking at this up. I don't know if we'll see this ever again. The number two ranked transfer portal class, 51 players. Now you're only allowed 85 on scholarship. 51. I didn't even realize it was 51. Well, that it adds a little bit to the puzzle here because Colorado currently ranked at number 60 right now with eight commitments. Aaron Butler, the number five athlete in the country, one headliner, Danny O'Neill, who was at the Elite 11 finals, 
from Indiana, Brandon Davis Swain. Those are kind of the names at the the top of the boards. Akari Lewis, another name that we got to see at OT7 out there in California. So Drew, they they eight players in the boat right now from the high school ranks. I think when the the reaction to Deion Sanders to Colorado was that he was going to bring this really polarizing dynamic to Colorado, especially on the recruiting trail. I think he has done that. Uh, Colorado has been in the news, and a lot of it has been positive for what they've been able to bring to Boulder from a talent acquisition standpoint. There's a lot of variables before we even dive into this conversation, but with everything we just talked about, before Deion Sanders has even coached a game in Boulder, does does this class like on a on a I don't I don't even want to call it a panic meter, but for lack of a better term, let's call it that. I mean, does does any anything about this class sitting at number sixty right now in July? short-term and long-term give you panic about Colorado? I think it does. And when Lance proposed this this, this sl- summer slump episode, I wanted to do it primarily because of Colorado. I mean, ever since Prime has arrived there, they, they have been in the headlines all the time. You know, getting kids, getting transfers, kicking kids out, just just everything. I mean, the spring game was on ESPN or, or spring scrimmage or whatever you want to call that, that shindig that they did there in Boulder in the snow. And it's like, all right, we are wrapping up coming out of July, heading into August. And it's like timeout Colorado's only sitting 60th in the rankings. I think like USF is ahead of them at, at, at 59 overall. Um, so I think it's a bit surprising in that sense. And I think if you, or Colorado, they're expected to take a smaller class. I was reading Buff Stampede last night. The guys there do an excellent job, and they made it seem like Prime and and the Buffs only want to take 15 high schoolers, which makes sense just kind of given the fact that they just brought in 51 transfers. They they did sign a bigger high school class last cycle, around 20, so they might not have a, a ton of numbers to work with. And you know, Colorado is going to want to go back in the transfer portal. So you're trying to balance all that out. But I think if you're Colorado, we said it's 75% of the top 247 is already committed. So, you know, what what's left out there for the, them to go get is, is kind of my point. And I think Colorado, it's going to be a difficult year one. So that 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 shine is going to wear off a little bit. I think it could be harder to flip some of these prospects. And with Prime, you got to, I mean, he, he has pulled off some pretty dang big wins in the 11th hour. Travis Hunter, when he was at Jackson State, Cormani McLean. I remember he pried Dylan Edwards away from, was it Notre Dame or was it Kansas State? I can't Notre Dame. Um, so I, I just, what's the runway to move up in the rankings is, is kind of my point. And especially if, if Colorado is, you know, below 500 come November and December. That's that's kind of where I'm at. And then you look towards the 2025 cycle. Again, that shine wears off a little bit if it's not a great year one. I don't think they're expecting, you know, contend for a Pac-12 title, but, you know, could it get a little more difficult than maybe we had thought it would have been a couple months ago? 
Yeah, I think I think any time that you are seeing that much turnover in a roster, there is the positive outlook that you were taking a program that has struggled mightily without an identity, and you're just turning it on its head. And I, I understand the merit-based philosophy of doing that, that being said, like like you said, there's there's a lack of familiarity, and I also think what you're doing is you're kind of hamstringing your runway to build organically. Yeah, that's kind of what I was gonna. <laughs> you're putting yourself in a position where you're gonna have to keep filling roster holes with transfers. I mean, they are gonna have to be. Their you know, their their biggest challenge is from here on out is going to be balancing year by year. How do they stabilize? It's like a pool. And that's not that's not something you can do in one year. It's like a pool, right? Your your pool's green and you're trying to stabilize the chemicals. I don't know if you you can familiar with that analogy, but I'm familiar with that. Yeah. I'm like that. like how, how long is it going to take to stabilize it? Cuz it it seems like a few years. And I guess that's maybe where the the panic would be. It is interesting cuz because of the aggressiveness in the portal, it it almost feels like you've raised expectations short term, and he he hadn't shied away from that, right? He wants to build a winner. He wants to set the tone immediately, and I completely understand that. But by doing that, I do think he's limited his flexibility a little bit in terms of how he can build his roster through high school. And you brought up this point. If it's not all sunshine and rainbows year one, that even makes it more difficult to go into the high school ranks and recruit well. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna have some splashes come the winter months. Like every time I feel like I think I said it in, in the lead up to last year's signing day show, I'm like, what what if he doesn't make a splash and I'm uh, set myself up to be clipped and used in Colorado's Instagram and all that stuff. And then they go and get Cormani McLean. So like, he's going to have some of those, but I think it will be harder if they are what four and eight, three and seven, something like that. Yeah. You want to, you want to see progress. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. And the truth of the matter is we haven't seen it before. We we've never seen a roster turnover of, of that capacity, 51 players. I mean, that's that's what two thirds of your roster. And the other thing I'll say about this, you look at the commit list. I like some of those guys that they do have committed. Only one prospect inside our top two four seven, I believe. That's that's Aaron Butler. You brought up Zy Carl Lewis, kind of a pint sized playmaker, slot receiver, can do different things. But there were at that spring game back on April 22nd, like there were some high profile blue chippers that were there that are a few of them are like making commitments this week and, and Colorado's not even a finalist. So that kind of raises my eyebrow a little bit as well. It's like, all right, these kids went out there, visited, and and you know, you're not even in the running at, at this stage for this announcement. Yes, they could things could change three, four months down the line. But I thought that was kind of no like guys I'm talking about, like Brandon Jacob, top two, four, seven safety, DeAndre Robinson, uh, another guy to the Sunshine State, big, big lineman. Um, 
and, and they did bring Charles Lester, or what is he, number four, number five corner. They got him for an, in for an official visit. They are a finalist. Florida State's in there. I think Alabama's in there as well. So we'll see. I, I, I you know, I, I, I don't know how to say. It. Like, makes me also kind of wonder a little bit about how the NIL operation set up there, because I think they're using a lot of NIL in the transfer portal. I just wonder how how long term he's thinking. Because a lot of the decisions that they've made, it seems like he feels like, all right, I'm doing what's best for the program today. How do we win games in 2023? In 2024, 2025, and beyond, have kind of taken a little bit of a back seat. I'm I'm more intrigued about their holistic process. It's a case study. Petri dish. Yeah, it's just um, the thing is, is that nobody would have expected anything in year one. So you almost you almost have this grace period to kind of build it in your image and likeness. And you know, to his to his credit, he's done that. So it's hard for me to ridicule something that's never been done before. It's more wait and see for me. What I would say is. I, I am skeptical because I feel like he had the wind at his back coming from Jackson State. He capitalized on that in the 2023 cycle. I feel like the dust has settled a little bit even before playing a game. And in order to get that momentum back on the recruiting trail, I think that's directly correlated to them having success on the field this season. And that puts a lot of pressure on Colorado and the Buffs to win. So Drew, I panic meter wise, let's let's put a number on it. Um and then feel free to add any context you want. But your panic meter one through ten on Colorado. I don't know, six, seven, somewhere in there. What about you? I'm more wait and see, so put me in the middle. I'd, I'd probably go five. First four games for Colorado at TCU, Nebraska at home. Colorado State at home, at Oregon, USC at home. So I get first five games. That is a difficult stretch. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. All right, TCU at number 54, Drew. Good segue. <laughs> Austin Haney, top two four seven quarterback, Ja'Kyle Baker, top two four seven receiver, Jeremy Payne, top two four seven running back, Travis Jackson. Another guy we really like. The list kind of goes on and on. TCU number 54 in the country. They finished strong last year in 2023, finishing the top 20. Also did a, a really, really solid job in the transfer portal. That was one of those teams that you know I, I like to bring up uh, on signing day. They lose Garrett Riley to Clemson this winter. They also lose Brian Carrington as well. He takes a position job uh, over at Arizona State. Insert Kendall Bryles through Sonny Dykes coming off a national championship. The Horn Frogs number fifty-four in the country. I mean, what, what's your current state of affairs where they sit right now on July twentieth? National championship appearance. Appearance. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't want people get uh, confused there. Um, I don't. I'm not in a panic mode, but I do think if you're not familiar with 
TCU's operation and, and how they go about things to put the two and two together. Like if you're just an average college football fan, you're like, all right, they, they were just on the biggest stage. And yes, they were embarrassed a bit by Georgia, but you would think that would translate to instant success. So coming out of, you know, the month of June, for them to be sitting 54th is is a bit of a head scratcher. Now, I I think they're more of the we, we don't care what the rankings are. We're going to trust our evaluations. And I, I was reading uh, our TCU site last night. Like TCU is doing two camps next week when things open up, and it sounds like they'll be underclassmen there, but it'll be some rising seniors that work out. So while a lot of the country is, is focused on visits, TCU is still kind of going about their process. So not a huge panic. I will point out they have lost out on some notable blue chippers here in, in recent weeks. Um, Jordan Johnson, rebel top two, four, seven safety originally from Texas at IMG Academy. He took an official visit, ends up picking, Steve Sarkeesian and the Longhorns, Selman Bridges, another Lone Star State kid, big long corner, another guy that took an official visit. He picked Arkansas. We talked about him on the last episode. So I, I take all that into account. And then, as you've hinted to, I mean, they closed really well in the in the 2023 cycle. I think the two headliners in that class didn't commit until the fall slash winter months. And that would have been Cordell Russell and Marquise deal, right? Two way lineman. He was on the freaks list. And then I read some quote yesterday about him and, and some unnamed source at TCU said, Hey, this kid's a freak. I'll always love to see that. Yeah, for, for me, I, I really kind of looked at what TCU did last year, and I love that formula for them. They ended up signing 23 players. 18 of them were from the state of Texas. So I think there's, there's a little bit of what they're doing is that they can, they can really kind of lie in the weeds a little bit. And I think they're a little bit of a, a safety net. We saw that last year with Jamel Johnson, who used to be committed to Texas. I think they're one of those programs that certainly knows and understands, especially in a wide canvas, canvassing, canvassing state like Texas. They're super patient, I would say, right now. Like it, only, only 10 commitments. You go through it, some of the names that I mentioned already. I mean, the quality of guys that they're bringing in, I really like. And outside of that, they're really good fits. Hoss Haney, ideal fit. Chicago Baker, excellent fit. Jeremy Payne, good fit. Travis Jackson, developmental upside off the edge. I mean, these are guys that TCU, long before Sonny Dykes, Gary Patterson, has made a living off of in the state of Texas. So I like what they're doing. And then outside of that, I mean, you mentioned the portal as well, which I, you know, I know we're not talking about as much right now, but I really like the job that they did last year. Dylan Wright, Jalen Robinson, Tommy Brockermeyer, Jack Besh, Jojo Earl, Avery Helm. I mean, these are all incredibly talented guys. Trey Sanders. And yet they're not reaching. You know, they only took 13 transfers. 
which is a, it's it's a good quality for them. They have figured out how to supplement their roster with top end talent by being patient, understanding the developmental upside that exists in the state of Texas, finding guys that fit those parameters. And then to me, it's like Sonny Dykes out there with his arms open. And it's like, all right, you want to play big time football? You want to play an explosive offense? We just went to the national championship in year one. And I want to say TCU had what? Seven guys drafted? Yeah. Dude, they got it going on. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, they're one of the most intriguing roster building jobs in the country. From where they're geographically located to who they have at head coach to their, I would say, just attractiveness as a transfer portal destination. And I'm glad we got to talk about these guys, but Drew, panic meter-wise, put me at one. I was going to go like two. I have no, uh, no no concern about them. I do have some other stuff written down here on TCU that I think maybe helps kind of paint the picture. I mean, Garrett Riley, offensive coordinator, leaves for Clemson. They've since hired Kendall Bryles, who was instrumental in them getting Haas Haney, one of our favorite quarterbacks at the Elite 11 final, someone that's moved into the top 247 with us. So Riley leaves, Bryles in, and they also did lose their recruiting coordinator, Byron Carrington, to Arizona State. He took an on-field job there. So I think there has been some some turnover behind the scenes. And uh, Byron, from my understanding, was was heavily involved in, in getting some of those guys in, in the 2023 class. So I think when there's change like that, it does kind of – you know, shake things up a little bit, maybe reset you a little bit. Um, and I'll point to this. The 2025 class is already in a good spot. Hold a commitment from Adrian Wilson, top 247 wide receiver out of the state of Texas. Saw him at the OT7 championship. I thought he was a, a playmaker guy. I'm excited to see what he looks like as a junior. And then Ty Hawkins, uh, we were in a 2025 rankings call yesterday. In-state quarterback commit. I am a huge fan of, of Ty Hawkins, and uh, he is just like Haas Haney, someone who played wide receiver as a freshman, um, dynamic athlete, talented baseball player. That he was a regional qualifier as a tenth grader in the long jump there in the state of Texas. Anytime you're a regional qualifier in Texas in any event. It is impressive just given the, the sheer amount of people that live in that state. So I'm I'm not panicking. And and I gotta point out Gatlin Bear, our uh number nine wide receiver. He took an official visit there in June. So they're still in the hunt for them. And then the final nugget. <laughs> Kyle Limmerman, their kicker commit, saw him two weeks ago at, at the FBU Top Gun camp. Dude, kickoff beast. He drove a ball, like, not out of the back of the end zone. It would have been into, like, the second row of the stands. South Lake Carroll kid. Love him. Got a, got a six-piece nugget there, Drew. I know. Love it. I was ready to unload on TCU. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Before we get to the next two, guys, make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts, Apple, Spotify included. If you have a question, make sure to leave a review. That is the place to do it for next Wednesday's mailbag. Been getting a lot of great feedback on that. Been enjoying that. Hope you've been enjoying the show as well. All right, Drew, Michigan State, number 48 in the country. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster for, for Mel Tucker. You look back for the last couple of years, 22nd in 2023, 26th in 2022, 2021, 45th, a blend of the transfer portal, right? Michigan State was one of the more aggressive teams since Mel Tucker came to East Lansing. So Michigan State sitting at number 48 right now, disappointing season last year. They're in the thick of it uh, with guys like David Stone, number three defensive lineman in the country, DeAndre Carter, who we touched on a little bit last week, Jamari Howard, former Michigan State commit, I believe, and then Jason Brown out of the state of Washington, one of the top running backs in the country. So they're in the thick. They're they're working, right? A um, couple things yet to develop for the Spartans. They have 12 commitments, one top 247 prospect in receiver Nick Marsh. Who's got a lot of fans over here at 24-7 Sports. Spartans currently at 48 in the country. Drew, it just seems like a balloon kind of floating up in the air that all of a sudden just deflates and comes back down to earth. It's kind of how I feel about this. I, it, it wasn't long ago. I think it was like a year ago that I said I, I thought Mel Tucker had more juice than Jim Harbaugh on the recruiting trail. That has completely flipped. Uh, a year later, your thoughts on on Michigan State currently? I think if you, I think if you're a Michigan State fan, your panic meter would be high, correct? Because of exactly what you said, what your in-state rival is doing, Michigan in the top five of the rankings. I I I, I kind of went back and forth. Like I I don't know where I where I stand, and I think they've they've lost some some guys recently. Kamar Mathudi. Dylan Williams, two blue chip linebackers to Oregon, where it appeared at one point, like I think there was even crystal ball predictions in for both those guys to end up at Michigan State. I just can't put my thumb on on where I, where I'm at. And I, what I will say is, I do like the top half of the class. You mentioned Nick Marsh, tons of fans here. I think he's kind of a a stud, a big frame wide receiver, young for his grade. I think that's a huge addition. Got to hold on to him. I like Andrew Dennis, interior offensive lineman. I think 
he he was a riser for us in the last rankings update. I think he's a guy that could be a multi-year starter there in the Big Ten. So I like those two. There are pieces of the class I like. At the same time, it's, it's a, you're sitting 48th, and I don't know about the back half of that class compared to some of the others out there. If I'm a Michigan State fan, this makes me a, ner- a little bit nervous because I gave my coach, what, a $90 million-plus contract? I'm not paying him for the 48th class in the country. You know, bare minimum, you should be in the top 25. And if you're Michigan State, you're Mel Tucker with all the places that he's been, the success that he had two years ago, and now coming off a five and seven season. He's done it a couple different ways, you know, leaned heavily on the transfer portal when he arrived. They got to get back to basics. And, you know, simply put, he's got to start working on the trail. And I know they're working, but in terms of pen to paper, they got to execute. And there was there was a lot of momentum behind Michigan State in their program not not too long ago. And it seems to me it's just kind of we're kind of at this lull right now where they they you know they came off a high at eleven and two. They disappoint the following season, go five and seven. Now I think a lot of people are just kind of waiting to see what happens on the field in, in 2023. And their recruiting is has been a little bit of a byproduct, right? Because of that, I am nervous if I'm a Michigan State fan. I think this year is critical to the future of the program. This time last year, so right, June, July, August, landed by Job, Jordan Hall, who we loved, Stanton Rammel, big offensive tackle out of the state of Alabama, and Jalen Thompson who in-state defense alignment at Cast Tech, big fan of him, finished as a, a, a 90 for us. Doesn't seem like they're getting those same big wins this summer, which is why I'd be panicking. I mean, I like what they did last year. Andrew DePepe, Sam Levitt. Sam Levitt was a late flip. Late flip and a really, really good one. You know, back in the transfer portal, they took 14 guys. You know, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with Michigan State. But right now, I mean, I think I think it's fair to say if you're a Michigan State fan, I don't think it's I don't think there's any problem if you're sitting there wondering like, hey, should we should we expect more at this point? It is July. We'll see how they finish. But yeah, I, I think I think that's very fair. All right, panic meter, where is where is it at for you? Give me a Give me a number. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go five or six. I was gonna go six, pushing to seven ta- territory. Like I said, I think this is, you know, if 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 you had the results on the field this season, I think you're back in a you're back in an advantageous position. But if 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 you fail to make the postseason, I think that becomes a little that becomes crippling on the recruiting trail. Now you just you got an uphill battle, and there's so much more energy you got to exert both on and off the football field. That makes it a little bit scary. Okay, UW program that I know well. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say you can take the wheel here. Yeah, so my you know Mike Varell, who works over at the Seattle Times. 
asked me about Washington a few weeks ago before they had a host of official visitors. I think they, they had one commitment at the time. That was Pocky Finau, one of the top interior offensive linemen in the country. Since then, they've added uh, a considerable amount to their class. Still number 49 in the country, just inside the top 50. Finished number 29 in Kalen DeBoer's first full cycle. They've been a lot more active uh, in the transfer portal, just with the way the game has changed. They've done a good job there. Landed Caleb Presley, Landon Hatchett last year, two of the top five prospects in-state. Currently, no in-state commitments. Pretty interesting there. I'm not panicking, but I am curious. I think Kalen DeBoer is a heck of a football coach. But I also think that, you know, they, they have a team with a lot of tremendous talent on the perimeter. Guys like Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk. Michael Penix, obviously a big piece of that. Troy Fatanu, Roger Rosengarten, solid offensive line play. My question is, are they continuing to stack that caliber of talent? And I think Kalen DeBoer is the guy to put those type of players in the right place to maximize their potential. Can he keep recruiting at that level to bring in those caliber of players? That is my biggest question. And I got to be honest with you, I'm not incredibly familiar with what they have brought in this cycle. And I like some of the things that they did last year, but that that would be that would be my question. So I'm not going to comment so much as to the context of what they already have in their in their class, but where they're sitting right now. Washington, in my mind, should be a top 25 recruiting program at minimum. And at your highest clip, you're anywhere from 12 to 15. Question. Kind of similar to how I see Michigan State. Question, does your outlook on the class change if Austin Mack, top two, four, seven quarterback, didn't reclass and he's 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 still in 2024? We're still kind of the same thing. That's a great question. Um, and I'll follow up. I do like the quarterback they have committed, Demarcus Davis, out of California. I think he could have a very big senior year. It changes from the fact that I think they're in a really good position with the quarterback position going forward, right? And I think that's a big key to what they do. And I think back from his time in Indiana to Fresno State, I think Kalen DeBoer has put himself in a really good position by getting that position right. So I don't know. It just – it depends, right? What are the expectations? That the, That's here, the other part. Here's my other thought on it. Like, this has got to be the year for Washington on the field. And I feel like they haven't put themselves in position to take advantage of that on the recruiting trail because they're going to lose a lot. They're going to lose a lot of playmakers. They're going to lose those receivers. Michael Penix is going to be gone. And I think, like I read on, on, on our Washington site, they're not even expected to host any recruits at the end of the month. Might be one of the only schools that's not going to bring anyone in 
you know, put some put some coals in the fire where if you do make a magical run, you're you're in position to, you know, have a seat at the table maybe that you wouldn't have had with some uh, uh, in previous years with some top flight prospects. It's only July, so we'll we'll see what happens. Like you said, I mean, three quarters of the top two, four, seven shown up. It's just like a lot of teams jockeying in the Pac-12 right now. You know what I'm saying? Oregon, Oregon State, Stanford certainly improving. Like now, all right, now now it's time to keep up with the Joneses a little bit. And you can't rest on your laurels and just say, well, you know, schematically, we feel really good about what we're going to do. I do like the the wide receiver they got out of Oaks Christian, Justice Williams. I don't know if you've if you've buzzed him. I think he is a, a bit of a steel hidden gem. Dad was a tight end for the Raiders. I had a P5 coach on the other side of the country told me that they thought that kid would go to Washington and get get drafted in the NFL. So I do think there is some some star power in that class. Maybe not it just takes a little more investigating to to get familiar. I, I give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm just I'm a little bit cautious. That's kind of where I am. And the other thing I brought up the expectations because what are the expectations? You know, you got USC, UCLA leaving. You got a huge opportunity in the Pac-12. Is it good enough just to beat Oregon? Every other year, is that good enough for you? Or do you think you should be the top dog in that conference? You mentioned the jockeying. You got Jed Fish, Arizona. Oregon State's not a joke. Yeah. I mean, that conference is getting more and more competitive. I, To me, it's just like, I would have said the same thing if I was there under Chris Peterson. Like, what are we trying to get done here? Where's our killer instinct? Like, are we, tr- are, are, do we see ourselves as a legitimate college football playoff contender year in and year out? Because I don't think it's the University of Washington holding the program back. I think it's more the, 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 the people at the University of Washington in that program seeing themselves in the national picture. And you have to think outside of the Pac-12 and say, hey, we have everything we need to be successful on the national scale, but we got to think bigger. And we're not okay with, you know, beating a seven and five Texas team in the Alamo Bowl. You also got to point out, mentioned uh, what they're going to lose on the field. I mean, Ryan Grubb, OC, he's going to be a hot coaching head coach potential candidate with a good year. It's taking a big, big, big mind out of the building. They got resources, man. Their coaches are well paid. They're in a great spot. It's a beautiful city. Great university. And the players that have come before 
even even before this year, they have a good track record of putting players in the NFL. So I love the University of Washington. I wish the best for them. I just think I, I think they're capable of having excellent success at a sustainable level. And I think Kalen DeBoer is definitely the right man for the job, and he's a really good coach. I'm interested to see what the roster composition kind of looks like over the next two to three years. I think that's fair. Panic meter, three or four. I was going to go four, so we're aligned. All right, Drew, we have three big commitments this weekend on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. First, 2024 four-star defensive line Liam Andrews will announce his decision on Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Then, 2025 four-star Jamie French will commit at 2.45 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. And then finally on Sunday, four-star Kingston Biliamu Asa will announce his commitment at 5 o'clock Eastern time. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss any of these big time 2024 and 2025 commitments Drew, out of those three any any of them pique your interest jamie french saw him at the future 50 right we're going through our 2025 rankings here in advance of an update kid i'm super familiar with seems like alabama is trending as the team to beat there if you believe in the crystal ball um he's he, him and Alabama's offense, like I, I don't, I don't even know who to compare him to, uh, but he's a polished route runner, very technical, um, you know. And those type of guys, when you get them in in Tuscaloosa, they they seem to find success. Like I don't think Jacory Brooks is a clean comparison, but I don't know. Having watched both those kids grow up and play a bunch of seven on seven and, and go through that circuit. I do think there are some similarities there. Liam Andrews, that's an interesting one, right? Originally listed as an offensive lineman. Defensive lineman, Liam Andrews. Exactly. And I think I was one of the few guys that said, hey, I like him on the defensive side of the ball. So interested to see where he ends up. He's a good player. I mean, that's that's one where it's like, you know, if if – you're that program. You're not pushing back on him either way, right? We'll just get you. We'll get you in here, and we'll figure it out. Kingston Viliamu uh, Asa. If I'm pronouncing that name wrong, I apologize. Good football player. What, who's Se in the running for him? Second level defender, super high football IQ instincts. Plays the position the right way. Producer Lance, what you got? I was going to answer Ivan's question. I think it's a Notre Dame, Ohio State, USC, and there might be one other team. Actually, no, I think it's those three. I think it's just USC, Notre Dame, and Ohio State. No crystal ball Nova. picks in? I don't know. I guess not. Yeah, I guess not. I feel I like this those. would be a big one for USC. I feel like they, they kind of got to land this one just from an outsider. I have no idea why I'm saying this, but I kind of get a Notre Dame feel here. That's just a hunch. His last official visit was to Ohio State, if that's worth anything. Yeah, I've seen some theories out there that you don't want the last official visit. You want the second to last official visit during these summer visits. And I'm like, whoa, okay. 
you know, like data to back it up as well. I think it's probably a coincidence, but I did find that interesting. And this was like that a message. Weird. That, that's weird. I, that was on like message boards. So I don't know if right. it's. All right, boys, are we ready to get out of here? Can I get a uh, winner from each of you two for the uh, British Open, please? I'll go first. I mean, I've been watching as you guys have been recording. Uh, Cam Smith almost slam dunked a par three, which was crazy. He hit the pole. Um, but Tommy Fleetwood looks really good right now. He's minus five, tied for first with the amateur Lamprecht. Uh, so, I mean, based off of the South returns, African kid. Yeah. Based off early returns, you got to like where where Tommy Fleetwood sits, but obviously like Rory still has to go. And obviously, you know, Rory is the hometown, you know, home crowd favorite. You have a uh, uh, John Rom still, you know, has to tee off. He's teeing off, I think in like two minutes. Um, but I'll go with Tommy Fleetwood since he's You're going with the right leader, now. huh? I'm going with the leader. I, I I'm <laughs> going with, not only leader. am I going with the leader, I'm going with Fleetwood goes wire to wire. I was about to say, Coach. I mean, that's betting on the horse early favorite right there. Drew, what you got? I'm going my guy, Ricky Fowler. I like that pick. I think he's I think he find it finished minus one. I took him to, to finish, you know, they had those prop bets. I said 22nd or better. I thought. I thought he'd have a good week. And they also have prop bets like will Tommy Fleetwood win the tournament like after the first round? Lance, you should get all over that. I, I would bet the opposite. I'm going to go for the uh, – I'm kind of torn between these two. I don't think there's a a bad answer between either of them. I, I think Scotty Scheffler finally kind of breaks through again. I mean, he's, he's <laughs> full of top 10, uh, top 15 finishes. It just shows how good he is. I'm going to go just, with I'm going to go with Kepka here. I don't think I don't think Hopefully he hadn't teed off already and is like plus 4. No, he's yeah. he's minus 1 as well. He's he's in the Oh, he has teed off. So he's he's in the mix. He that dude. He's just got a different gear when it comes to the majors. Just don't so we, uh, got, we got Kepka, Fowler and Tommy Fleetwood. Don't pick don't pick Adam Scott. Adam Scott I think it was on 16th or 17th hole is part 600 yard par 5. Guy first tee shot goes way right out of bounds. Okay, so he tees up again, now hitting three. Goes way left out of bounds. And what a loser. Was, think, I've never done that in my life. I think I just think goes to was. show Adam Scott has the best swing in golf. Can wow. happen to any of us. All right, let's get out of here. We've been, we've been running long on our little conversations at the end of the show. Guys, make sure to subscribe to the show. Like I said, 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, Spotify, Apple. You know where to find us. For Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins, for producer, Lance Flynn. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus.